really quickly turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter 3 for a moment. If you've been with me for the last few offerings, my heart is really to help us to understand uh, our, really our relationship to the Old Testament. Uh, you know, a lot of our giving, particularly tithing and those instructions that come from God, although we certainly have them validated, and I think we've gone through that, they're validated in the New Testament, they're validated by Jesus. Um, but sometimes what we can do is that we can really not be clear as New Testament people what our relationship is to the Old Testament, and then it causes us not to be able to really jump into our actions of faith, which would be tithing and giving and the things that you're doing financially. And then you're, we're always in this place where we would have this lull. Remember the lull God talked to us about in the middle of the service where we're doing the offering and it kind of all pulls down and oh, bummer. Instead, we should be really getting closer and closer to embracing this portion of scripture as a, as a celebratory part. Not just that we go, woo, you know, offering, woo, but that it is something on the inside of us that I have completely yes, connected yes. It with my whole being to this work. And so here in Galatians chapter 3, as we've talked, we went to, we were in Romans chapter 3 for a while, when, when Paul was talking to us that, he, that we've not made void uh, the law by faith. Remember that scripture at the end of Romans chapter 3? We haven't made it void. In fact, we have uh, established it. We have histamide it. We have put it into concrete and we have set it in, in, uh, in immovableness. And the way we do that is by putting the word of God in our heart by faith, right? And then now it's not that it's been removed, it's actually come to a deeper place. We talk about this a lot if you want to read through Galatians chapter 3. Paul is really talking about that exact same process. But something that I wanted to clarify with you here in verse 12, it says, and the law, now the law he refers to as Genesis to Malachi. Well, that, particularly Genesis, the first five books of the Bible, but really we look at it as though it is the whole Old Testament. And he's saying that the law is not of faith. But listen here, he says, but the man that does them shall live in them. And that's kind of a weird thing. We would say that if you, if you follow the law, you follow the rules, if you will, of the Old Testament, even if you don't have a revelation of it by faith yet, even if you follow the rules of the Old Testament, there's life in those rules. And you wonder, like, okay, that doesn't seem to make sense with all the things I've learned about Christianity. We're supposed to reject anything that has to do with the law. Can I tell you something? One of the biggest problems in Christianity in the world today is a concept called rebellion. And this rebellious thing desires to get rid of anything that looks at all like a law. Because we as human beings don't like to be told what to do. Does anybody in here really rejoice when they get told what to do? Eat that ice cream. No, I don't want to. We just don't like being told what to do. And so we've built a whole doctrine around nobody telling me what to do. Because that suits us well in this lukewarm, self-driven Christianity that we really see most of in North America. And we see it around the world. It's spreading around the world now because of whatever. But we got to get rid of that concept because what Paul is talking to us about here is that the law, if you just do the law, if you never get to faith, you are better to do the law, just do the rules, than you are to be rebellious and don't do anything God says. Now, he does not saying, now that's not the end of the game, but you're closer to the game if you just do the rules. But I want to draw, now that this is what I want to draw attention to. Look at verse 13. 
Christ has redeemed us from the law, being made a law for us. It is written, uh, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. That's how we would read that scripture in our modern context. We would say that we have been redeemed from the law. And that's not what the scripture says. It says we have been redeemed what? From the curse curse of the law. Where does the curse of the law come from? Okay, see, this is where rebellion becomes the problem. You see, it's all, I, I want to eat the ice cream. But because you told me to eat the ice cream, now I don't want to eat it anymore. That's the whole problem with the law in the heart of a rebellious person. Somebody who doesn't want to do what somebody else is telling them to do. When we do that, then the law comes, what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, the law comes and it is delivered to me as a rebellious person. I don't want to do the law. There's something going on. It's not me. Me, I want to do the law. As human beings, we're designed in the image and likeness of God. God thinks his law is awesome. So by nature, we would like to do the law. The problem is on the inside of us, sorry, on the inside of us, there is this rebellious thing that as soon as it gets told what to do, it don't want to do it anymore. And by then, what's happening, now the law becomes a curse to us. Because now I know what to do, but I don't want to do what I know to do because I've been told to do it. Now it becomes a curse to me. Remember in in James, we were talking about this before with sin, I'm way off my notes, praise the Lord, we'll just do offering as mixed into today's message. When When you know it's sin, then it's sin. If you don't know it's sin, it's not sin to you. There's no burden to, I mean, you still pay the price for it, but there's no burden to it. There's no debt created by it if you don't know that it's sin. When we know that we are rejecting something, now we are responsible for the fact that we rejected it. That's the problem with rebellion, and that's the problem with the law. But it says here, Christ has redeemed us, not from the law, from the curse of the law. How did he do that? When Jesus came, remember we're, okay. If you were here for my business seminar yesterday, I went for four and a half hours, so. Okay, do you remember? Yeah, right, they say that today. Remember when we were talking about the, 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 um, the confession curve? Were you all here for that? Is anybody here who was not here for that? We'll give you a free CD. You need this teaching. Uh, when Jesus came, he opened up that door. That's the key thing Jesus did. Everybody lives down here in the world. This is the kingdom of man. This natural world that God created in Genesis chapter one. He created this world in order for it to be a playground, a perfectly designed, adapted world for the people, the children of God that he was about to create. Does anybody remember what happened on page three of your Bible? The kingdom of man was sold to the kingdom of darkness. How did that happen? What did Adam do? He rebelled. Is that how he spelled rebellion? No. Three, L's. Three L's. No, that's an I. 
this is the eye. Through rebellion, the ways of God, which Adam knew, became a curse because he stepped out of those things. This realm down here is the realm of rebellion. The doorway that God, see, God's ways are right. It should only be obvious that if you make me eat the ice cream, I'm going to be happy with you. But I'm not. You're forcing me and my rebellion rises up and I say, I don't want to do it. What Jesus did is when he came, he opened up the doorway where we could see through to this place called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is all about a place where we can, remember what he said about being born again? You can see if you're baptized in the water and the spirit, you can enter the kingdom. When we can see that the word of, that anything at all that comes from God is good. See, rebellion says everything that comes from God is rules and regulations. You're going to steal my life. Everything's going to go worse. I'm going to have to sit in the church for the rest of my singing life, and it's not going to be any fun at all. That's what religion tells us. Religion lives down in the, in the below the line. I've, we've talked about this before. This is the realm of religion down here. This is the, the realm of works. Not a bad place. You have to live there. You start there. You, everybody starts here. You notice that you don't go from here and then magically translate to here. You go through that process, which is a place of religion. This is what Paul is talking about in that scripture when it comes to tithing and in your giving, is that the law that tells us in our giving, we may not have the faith yet. That's what he's talking about. We don't have the faith to do tithing. Maybe if you're in this place and you're saying, you know what, I really want to obey God in this area. I really want to step in. I know that it's the right thing to do. I know God wants me to do it. I know he's blessed me. So I know that this is part of the, the, the agreement, the covenant that I have with God that he gets the 10%. I want to do it. The problem is, is that we, this is where I actually want to do it. Right there, that little magical spot right there where I cross over into the realm of faith. What do I do with this season down here? Paul says, you do it, and as you do it, as you step into doing it, what happens is it already begins to produce life for you under one condition that you don't do it and wish, or that you don't do it wishing that you didn't have to do it. If you just step in and say, I believe everything that comes from God is good. Everything that he does is good. If he says to put my left pant leg in before my right pant leg and I fall over doing that, which I've tried and it will happen to you too, then I still say it's good even though it doesn't necessarily look good at the moment, just because it came from God means it must be good. So that I'm stepping into it, don't necessarily believe that yet. It's like children with their parents. As you obey your parents, now children when they are minus less than nine years old, but you know, if you look at the, the, the season of a child, you oftentimes can see this season in, in operation. And they go up to this line and they go down like that with rebellion because they won't cross the line. They won't stay and deal with their rebellion. 
Most of the problem in the kingdom of God today, when you bring it all the way back to its actual root, what's the real problem? The real problem is rebellion. Because we have a book. We have the truth. We can easily just follow the truth. Did you know that you could staple your tongue to your upper lip? And some of you should. Because it would be easier for you to control the things that come out of your mouth if you stapled your tongue to your upper lip. Now that's going to be, that's, now I'm going to see that. I can only see that post. Caleb, you are not allowed to use that little sound bite exclusively. You see, it's easy for us to follow the word of God and require it of ourselves to do so. The problem is we don't want to. And we have, we have lived in a world for too long that permits us through all these doctrines of rebellion, that we don't have to follow the ways of God. In fact, following the ways of God, as you see, if you, well, we'll talk about it in a minute. Well, I'll go there. Galatians chapter four in verse one, it says to us that the, that the ways of God, the law brings us to faith. Like a teacher or schoolmaster here in Galatians chapter three, it refers to following the law as if it is a schoolmaster or a governor or a tutor. And then in, in Galatians chapter one, it tells us that that tutor, his job is to bring us into a place of faith and a releasing of that faith out into your life. As you will talk about this when we get to September, living by faith requires, first of all, that you try to understand something that you do not already understand. You need to see the world differently than you are presently seeing it. And then you have to persevere with what you are seeing for a season. That persevering season is what most of us would describe as religion. I don't believe it yet, but I make myself do it. I make myself persevere through this process as I am persevering through, not remaining in, but persevering through this process of requiring of myself that I would do the works of God just because God says it and God is absolutely 100% good and out for my 100% good. And I do it out of that heart. What happens is I begin to grow in my understanding of what it is that I just heard as a black and white letter. Now I'm doing it and, I, and there's, there's all kinds of juices that begin to flow as I am in my doing of that thing. Listen twice as much as you speak. Well, try that for a while. Because what you'll come out of that doing is understanding more and more about the value of listening. Be slow to wrath. Try that one on for size. Just require yourself to be slow to wrath. Unless you have a chemical or hormonal imbalance that, that prevents you, you have the ability to control yourself. You know, it's funny when you work, talk with people, sometimes when they're with people who they feel superior to, they don't control themselves. All of a sudden, when they get to somebody who they feel inferior to, they magically can control themselves. Like, you know, mouthy until the cop shows up. Right? All of a sudden, they can do it now. Well, they could always do it. They just chose not to do it. And so we have to become very real. You know, if we're going to grow, particularly in this area of faith that we're going to talk about today's message, in order for us to really grow in this area, we have to be really, really honest people. Yeah. 
not honest with each other. We have to be honest with ourselves. And we have to begin to get into that spot where now that I have been honest with myself, now I can see where I am. If I can see where I am, as we talked about last week, I can get anywhere. If I'm, if I'm not honest with myself about where I am right now, I can't really get anywhere from here. Certainly, I can't take direction from anybody because you don't know where I am because I don't know where I am, and so we're all lost. It's not really that complicated to do the ways of God. As we get into this next season of the kingdom of God and faith gets up to be the priority mechanism, understanding faith, walk through it one or two times in your own life, and all of these things that we're talking about will come very clear to you very clear to you. It's just a matter of pursuing these early seasons and getting ourselves through from the place where we start in the world of misery and we end up in the world of blessing. And it's just a matter of going through that curve. So if you have your offering envelope, did we do offering envelopes yet? Go ahead and serve the people with your offering envelope. So what you want to do, if you are... um, If you are believing God to get along this curve, if you know tithing is the way, and there's lots of reasons, you know, nobody, any any tithers that are in the room know that this is a bit of a journey that we go through in our honoring of God in our substance, particularly if it's a new concept to you. Step into it, as Paul is saying, in the place where you would say, I really know that this is good for me. I really know that this is a blessing in my life. And I am going to set myself in a disciplined way to do what God is asking me to do, not so that I I live in the place of discipline for the rest of my life and condemn myself every time I go wrong. That's not the objective. The objective is to step into the work so that as we step into the work, I am really allowing God, because I have removed my rebellion, In this area, I am allowing God to begin to transform who I am because I am honestly receiving, knowing that I am working my way along this journey, as opposed to I'm just going to stubbornly remain down here and I'm not going to let God talk to me. I'm not going to let anything transform on the inside because I don't want to do this. That's what rebellion, or maybe you don't yet know that everything that comes from God is good. But then deal with that. Go along this journey and do, do it with everything that comes from God is good. Because it is. Anyways, praise the Lord. Y'all good? Ushers, go ahead and serve the people. You have to, uh, well, maybe you don't. I always tell people, you have to get used to me. Well, sometimes I have to get used to you. And so re- remember that when, when I talk about some of these terms, you know, like sin and rebellion and all that, I, I'm not really talking, to them, uh, talking about them in a judgmental way. I'm not trying to judge people or condemn you or to say bad things about you. I'm trying to make some of this terminology of the king, thank you, some of this terminology that we have sort of religified. And so when it comes to us, it's like, oh, that's bad. Instead of saying, okay, wait a minute, this is just a concept of the New Testament that that they're they're not discussing it. When Paul's writing or Jesus is talking, you know when Jesus said you whitewash, you you know, to the religious people? You're a bunch of whitewashed tombs with full of dead men's bones. Was Jesus being sarcastic? Was he ridiculing them? Was he being nasty and mean? Well, he couldn't be. Now, we see it like that because if I went to you and said, you are, you know, then you would think I was being nasty and mean to you. We've got to get rid of that way of interacting with the scriptures. 
We have to be able to see these things as just concepts. If I come to you and I say, you know, your underarms smell, here's the deodorant, then you will smell good, then we don't have to say, oh, I'm such a bad person because my underarms, everybody's underarms smell. And so we just can get to the place where we are mature, like adults, when we discuss these things, right? Because if you're talking to a little kid and you say that, well, they're going to hurt their feelings because they don't really understand things. But as adults, you, we have the ability to discuss these things without feeling bad that somehow there was this great illusion that we actually think your underarms don't stink. We don't think that. We think you're wearing deodorant. And so there's the same process when we begin to dig into some of these, because as this revelation, remember that the faith is the principal thing. The entire New Testament is about faith and, and the process of transformation that comes through faith. If we built an entire kingdom without that being the principal thing, then a lot of what we will see in the kingdom is sort of okay. It's kind of a little bit right, but it's not really going to be right because it's still people who live below the line trying to understand principles that you can only understand if you get above the line. And that's what Jesus, when Jesus talks, you know, he's talking about these things and, you know, you feel his struggle as he's trying to release truth and wisdom to people. But you can just imagine, we're used to hearing what Jesus said. When Jesus said what Jesus said, he was talking to people who had never heard concepts like this ever before in their life. They all lived desperately down in the misery zone. And he was saying, you know, beloved, I'm with you always. And all that I have is yours. You know, there's a world of abundance around you. Give and you shall receive. And they're going like, you are a nut. Because they could not see the world that Jesus sees, which is, do you need my drawing? Can you all see the drawing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to live in that zone on the top. And when you live on that zone on the top, the things that, of the New Testament become ridiculously clear to you. But not when you're down here. And that's where the problem come in. And so now we've built all kinds of doctrines in the kingdom, but we've built the doctrines down here, which is okay. We still have to survive. We still have to, you know, make our way while we live down here. We have to learn how to cope in the middle of our misery. We should certainly do that. And the Bible does talk a lot about that, but that's not our objective. Amen. And the objective of the New Testament is not that we would learn to cope in our misery until we get to heaven when we die. Yes. This concept that down here, this is earth, up here, this is when we die and go to heaven, that's completely wrong. I mean, certainly it'll be like that when we get there, right? There's no misery in heaven. Did you all get the memo? No misery in heaven. But we're supposed to be living in no misery here, right? Our Father, go with me, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In heaven when we die. On earth, as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus said. If you pray anything, pray this. And so we have got to get to the place where, and, I, and you, you're probably hearing me be a little bit aggressive, and I'm back to my place of really desperately trying to cut the top off your head and pour this information in there, because i just coming more and more to the place where I understand if we could just get this. Can you, can you, no, let's not go there yet. Jesus said it in Mark chapter 4, if you can get this, you can have everything else. 
And so we've been very busy getting the everything else or trying to get the everything else without first getting the key to the door. If we just get the key to the door, everything else will become available to us. And we will see what I believe is going to happen is a thousand years where the kingdom and the word of God and the ways of God get to be the dominating force on the entire planet. Uh, You may not believe that, but... I'm the guy with the microphone. So we are in, we, are, we have been raised now, so we have a big problem. It really is a singular problem, and I'll be able to make this really easy for you. As we are in this curve that goes from misery to blessing, we are going from the deception to truth. There is one big guard, prison guard, at the door that prevents you from even beginning a journey to get out of the land of misery. I refer to this person as the creature. I like, the, I like calling him the creature because... It, it brings up images from those movies that you shouldn't have watched with the creature from the Blue Lagoon or whatever it was called. And this ugly, disgusting monster that is, no, none of us want to have work with us in our bedroom. The creature that is preventing us from stepping into this journey of, that from misery to blessing, this creature is self. The problem, hate to tell you, is you, but not the real you. The issue that each of us do when when we are born, we were born with, in the, we are each born in the image and likeness of God. If you see that this is me and I'm a little egg and I'm a little person and perfectly designed by God, but I have a completely blank slate. And then what happens to me when I come out into this natural world is I get this big, huge layer of poo (laughs) that is dumped on me over and over and over again. Sludge. Let's go with sludge. Where where was I? Was I standing right about here? This will make it easy for Ellen to just go boop, and the word poo turns into the word sludge. Is there three O's in poo? Oh, that's Winnie. The, so what happens to us is even though the real me is a great person, life begins to happen to me and it just covers me in all of its deception, but it just makes me into a person that I was never designed to be. How does all that happen? When we are young and we're born into this earth, we're born into this earth, we certainly have a whole bunch of pressures on us because of the sins of our fathers. And so that pressure begins to work on us, but we're constantly bringing in data, determining what the truth would be, how does the world work, you know, as children are, they're they're literally sponges absorbing all of this information. And they're doing that from the ages of zero to seven, zero to nine, zero to 10, whatever. I, it's, and it's getting younger and younger, by the way. 
You're seeing this happen in children now at the ages of four, five, and six, what didn't used to happen until they were mid-teens. What happens to them eventually because of this, what was the word, sludge environment that we live in, eventually rebellion rises up in the heart of every single human being. Because rebellion, because we are born with the nature to see the natural world, not the nature to see the spiritual world. When Jesus was born, didn't have this problem that we all have. When he came into this world, he didn't see the natural world. He saw the spiritual world. He saw how everything worked. We don't see that. We just see this narrow band of natural things. And because we perceive all of these things wrong, we start to have this rebellious nature rise up on the inside of us. And then we do this nasty thing called sin. Now, sin is one of those religious words that we would like to judge people with. Sin is just doing something different than God would do it if God had the opportunity to do it. That's all that sin is. And so there's like, we could say, well, the sin is just, you know, I didn't kill anybody. Well, God wouldn't kill anybody either. But there's a lot of things God would do different than you do them if he had the chance to be standing in your life doing the things that you do. Every one of those things are actually sin. They're missing the mark. They're just not doing it right in God's eyes. What happens to us, though, when we rebelliously choose it? Do you know if it's right or wrong to eat an apple? Anybody here eat, eat apples? Right? It's not wrong to eat an apple unless, or God, tells you not to. See, that was, the, that was what happened in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't anything to do with the apple. It was everything to do with rebellion. And so what happened then is when the, when the person knows to do it this way, I shouldn't eat the cookie. You're a little seven-year-old. You know you're not supposed to eat cookies, but you take one anyways. Boom. What happened? You sinned. What happens when you sin is you, well, let's talk about this guy first. This guy in here is connected directly to God. When you sin, you experience a separation. Most people don't even realize that that's what happened. But through this separation, I'll just keep this in my hand. Through this, then you go one, sin, two, separation. In that process of separation, you experience weakness. And this is profound. This is something happening so deep on the inside of you as a human being that it sort of brings a swell in order to fix it. But you don't see it, oh, wow, I wake up one day, man, do I ever feel weak? That's not how you feel. It's just this, this, this profound sense of weakness, a profound sense of vulnerability and a, a sense that you are unlovable. Whoa. <laughs> unlovable. You bring this on yourself, by the way. Why do you do all that? Because you become so aware of your weakness and your vulnerability. And then because you're weak and vulnerable, of course, nobody could love you. And you start to build all of these, this, this reasoning starts to be happening, which never happened to you before. 
Because God was giving you your sense of safety. He was giving you your sense of being. He was giving you your sense of love was all coming from that environment of relationship, spirit to spirit with God. What happens then is that as you do that, now we become, and this is where you know, Peter Pan would say, this is when we're not, we become the lost boys. When we grow up, we become, this is the important one, individuals. And we have a great sense of our individuality, but our indivi- what we're really saying is I am weak, I am vulnerable, I am alone. All that happened with a cookie. So what do we do? Blue. We don't like this. Human beings, anybody in here say, you know what I've really been object, my real objective is to be weak, vulnerable, and unloved. Anybody in here say that? There isn't a human being on the planet that desires to be weak, vulnerable, and unloved. And so what we do is we start to invent somebody who is strong, appears to be strong, safe, abundant, and loved. Not really loved, esteemed, respected, honored. So we build this person, heretofore known as the creature. The creature is going to try its very best to never let go of the things that it has created in order to make us feel strong, safe, abundant, and loved. Anytime somebody comes to you and says, I want you to begin to deal with this problem in your life. The creature rises up. Imagine the creature. (laughs) Rises up on the inside of you. And does everything, listen to me, does everything it can to prevent you under pain of death for changing anything that reveals what it thinks you really are, weak, vulnerable, and unloved, and poor. That means that this fellow, the creature, is your biggest problem. The worst part, the most pitiful part of this entire equation is that the creature is an illusion created by you. Each one of us spent 15 years getting our degrees, getting our Calvin Klein shirts, getting our convertible Ferraris, getting our house on the beach, getting our all of these things that make us appear to be strong, make us appear to be safe, make us appear to be abundant, make us appear to be esteemed and respected and honored. We're building that stuff, and all the time, the creature is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. The creature, can I tell you something? The creature was a problem 
2,000 years ago. Our big problem. A lot of our problem in dealing with the, the New Testament and the sort of the lickety splitness of how the kingdom all of a sudden, somebody was in misery and next thing you know, the blessing of God and they could see the kingdom and they were flowing in the kingdom and they just served God mightily for their entire lives and it happened like Shazam in a moment. That was because the creature, all they needed to do was kind of like, you know, what, what, what uh, remember uh, Harrison Ford with the Shintar guy? And that's all they had to do. Nowadays, we have to fight this guy with tooth and nail. The, remember that the whole journey that we are taking, I think I ought to bring the whiteboard closer to the table over there next time somebody sets it up for me, save my shoe leather. What was I just about to say? The journey here from here up to here used to not be a really long journey. You just sort of got in there, dug in, and said, no, I know this is wrong. I shouldn't do it. And you just stopped doing it. And then you like, required of yourself to stop doing it. And then you kind of got along here a while, and then you popped over to the other side. Nowadays, the preacher says, don't do it. The book says, don't do it. And then everybody else who is bombarding you with images and thoughts say, you should do it. This is better for you. And what does it do? It re-energizes the creature. And the, the journey that goes from here to here just becomes just almost torturously long because the creature won't die if you keep feeding it. So let's take a look at some of the mechanisms that the creature uses. Can I unmask the creature for a moment? Can I give you a glimpse? into the, some of the things that you do and say without being judged mightily by you, and you get mad at me. Can I tell you some of the primary mechanisms of the creature? What does it do? In order for the creature to hide, remember I told you last week that your heart is above all deceitful. The creature, as you get older and older, you can see the problem, this is where the problem, remember, when the creature is first born, he's just a seed. You can't see him. And then he starts to grow a little bit and you can see him. This is called teenager. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the creature becomes a big tree. When we, we can't really see him here because he's a seed. He's hiding. He's just a tiny, little, tiny little guy. Does he, you have to really cl close to see, oh, he is a creature. Look at that little guy. Then we don't pay any attention to the teenagers because we validate this season of rebellion where, you know, everybody goes through this. This is when we can deal with it right here. Easily deal with it. By the time it gets to be the tree, it has become invisible in a totally different way. You now think you are the creature. The creature has completely convinced you that you are this strong, safe, abundant, and honored person. That's why the guys drive down the street, you know, they'll get the beautiful black Ferrari with the red leather, they'll take the top down, and they'll race and gun down Garrison Road, thinking everybody thinks they're awesome. You actually think... They think they're this abundant, honored person. You think they're a jerk. 
or that daddy bought them that car. Don't you? Does anybody not think that in this place? Does anybody go, oh, great person with Ferrari. I'm so... Nobody does that. You know, you ladies, you all want to be the best dressed lady at the ball. Do you know that all the other ladies hate you because you're the best lady at the ball? But you think you are the prettiest and the most honored person at the, at the dance. No, they all hate you. They want to spill their drinks on you. It's just a complete illusion. <laughs> Where was I? Oh. The, the, yeah, so you actually become the creature. And so you think, I, I don't got a problem with self. I'm just being, I'm not, I'm not an ego person. We, everybody says that in, my, in our culture. You know, you know, the worst selling CD series in the bookstore is the book on, is the tape series on this. I remember, remember uh, Joyce Myers did this one time. She had a beautiful tape series that was called Dealing with Pride. She printed 100,000 copies of this and hardly sold any. She renamed the series, How to Be the Best You Can Be, sold them all in a day. <laughs> People don't want to deal with, you don't even realize, this is my problem today as I'm trying to share it with you. I am totally convinced most of you are thinking, no, I don't think I really, uh, you know, I think I'm okay here. That's the creature. And he's making you think that the real problem is the person you're married to. So, anybody want to know? Is anybody want? Can I unmask them? Okay, where's my notes here? I've got so many notes. I'm so I'm halfway through so many good teachings. I have to tell you. Um, I wasn't going to go here today, but now that we sort of wandered off this path. Okie dokie. Okay, here we are. The first thing that the creature does, yikes. The first thing that the creature does is, thank you. And you can move it closer to me. That would be really awesome. Okay. The first thing that the creature does when we are trying to deal with the creature, yeah. Take your time, there's no problem. You guys look really good, though. It's like a sideshow. Would you go and sit down, please? Go. Number one, deny. When somebody comes to you and they try to share something with you, the very first thing that your soul is going to want to do is deny it. Okay, it's going to want to say that you got me completely wrong. There is nothing in me that I really want to be helped. I really want to be corrected. Uh, when somebody comes and shares the truth with you, there should be a mechanism in you that embraces it. If you reject it, that's the creature. The next thing that you'll do, this usually happens very, very quickly, by the way, so you kind of have to freeze frame it as you go through each of these steps right before you punch the person in the head. The next thing you will do is deflect. We have a really cool word for this in our home. Oops. Beep, 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 beep. Blame. 
if you feel like when something, you're in a discussion and somebody is bringing something to you, particularly your husband or your wife, these are the best ones to have that do it. If you are in a discussion with your husband and your wife and immediately inside of that discussion, you have to blame somebody else. That's not you. You want to grow. That's why you're here. The creature gets you to instantly step up and deflect that onto somebody else. Most likely back onto the person who's bringing it to you, by the way, which is really somewhat self-defeating in the maturing process, so don't do that. But the blame process, your soul, your creature, is revealing himself to us when we do these things. This is not normal humanity to do these things. And can I tell you something? If you look at our world, our world, this is an art form in our world right now. And so we can, you can buy books on how to effectively deny. They call it uh, spin. How to spin the story in such a way that it's not you anymore. All that's, see, the, the problem is, is all that's doing is making the creature stronger. Every time you win, every time the creature wins a battle, he becomes stronger. You know, like in the, in the video game? Boop, it gets bigger, boop, it gets bigger, boop, it gets bigger. That's what's happening. Uh, delay. This one's a great one. We'll deal with that another time. Or I'll put it off. I'll extend the time. I'm just not, I'll, for sure, listen, honey, I promise tomorrow I'm going to get right on that. I'll go talk to the pastor about this and I'll book a ra- for sure. I'm going to do that. That's just a delay tactic. You're actually not you're actually not going to do it. And if you look at your past, your past is already proven to you you're not going to do it. And so you're either lying or you're delaying. It's a, it's a tactic of the creature to not be removed from the equation. Remember that as human beings, we honestly, at the first time, we honestly think we need this guy because we really feel weak and vulnerable and, and, and unloved. So we need the mirage in order to make sure that we don't feel that way. So we are very vested in making sure the creature stays alive. And so we want, we're even willing to cooperate with him to a vast extent, particularly when it comes to these things. You're, you're only going to deny today, and then tomorrow we'll fix that. I, you know, I normally blame people, but I'll definitely get to that. No, you won't. You'll just continue because you, by doing it, you've made him stronger. So if he's hard to deal with today, he'll be harder to deal with tomorrow. Dissect. This is one of my personal favorites. Oh, my gosh. It's something. Can you, do you all know what this? How, can I spell it? D-I-S-E-C-T. What this per, this is usually done by intellectual people, by the way. Intellectual people take a very simple thing and they make it very complicated by dissecting it into thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces and then go talk about the thing that's over there, which has really nothing to do with the real thing, which is over here. That's just a tool. It's a mechanism. That's what we're trying to do. Mechanisms that prevent you from really seeing the creature. And if you do those things... You're just going to continue to uh, expand his domain in your life. Finally, the big one, 
is remember your notes, defend. You get into the place where you feel like you need to defend yourself. Somebody comes to you and they say one sentence, you need to talk to them for 55 minutes to make sure that they are completely convinced that it's not your problem, it's actually theirs. <coughs> that defend mechanism, watch what's happening now in all of these things. If you've experienced them, all of you have experienced these things, they all come with very strong emotional pressure. They all come because whatever has come to you has created an emotional uh, explosion on the inside of you. That emotion is actually you. It's the vulnerable sense of who you are. You were never designed to live separate from God. You're like a flashlight without a battery if you're not connected to God. If you're living down in the deception mode, you're living without a battery. The batteries in a human's life comes from the truth of the Word of God and the relationship with God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit through the, the Word of God. When that is all working, we work properly as human beings. When we are down in the misery zone, non-possessive of the, 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 the Word of God in a belief system on the inside of us, we are in fact weak and vulnerable and unlovable. There's not much nice about us. And so in a sense, it's true. And we need the creature when we're down in that zone. But the key to this process, the key to the New Testament is the journey that says, I already know I don't want to spend the rest of my life in misery. What I really need is the restoration of who I'm supposed to be as a human being. I'm supposed to be a human being filled with the presence and word of God. When I'm a human being with batteries in me, I'm feeling awesome. Life is working. My relationship with God and creation is working. My relationship with the other human beings is working. Everything in my life becomes what I would describe as perfect. And I have to make the decision. That's what the decision to do the New Testament is actually about. It is not the decision to go to church on Sunday. Although you should go to church on Sunday because it says so in the Old Testament, which we now believe is still the truth. It's a decision to enter the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of heaven. The guard, the prison guard, that's keeping you in the land of misery is the creature. You have, to, I have to make that decision. Am I going to continue my world of deny, deflect, delay, and, and dissect? Or am I going to begin the process of at least searching for the creature? Do I at least know, like I know that I'm a dissector? That's just my personal preference, my creature's personal preference. So I do my very best not, and then I also, I, in past times I used to defend. Now some people can come to me and they can say things about me and I have, feel no need whatsoever to defend myself at all. You feel that way? Okay. I don't even often, most of the time, I don't even explain myself anymore. Not rudely. I just don't feel any pressure to defend myself anymore. I also realize that most people don't, don't get me. That's just, you go, go out in the world and start talking as a Christian and then people go, so I don't really try. I, not, not because I'm great. 
but because I just, these things, I'm trying to kill off these things. So if I feel the need to defend myself, I don't. Do you understand? Why am I doing that? Because I don't like the creature. I think the creature is destroying my life. And, and it, it was. It's destroying everybody's life. The, the very beginning of this process, if you go to Romans chapter 8, in the first part of Romans chapter 8, it says that you are to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. What that's talking about is walk according to the ways of God. Back to drawing. You know where you are? When you cross that line, there is no problem with walking in the flesh. There isn't any. You've dealt with it. It's gone. That's what water baptism. Remember I told you, those of you that are praying about being water baptized, is get across that line. You don't have, once you believe something, you don't struggle with not believing that thing because you already believe it. The walking in the spirit and not in the flesh is down here where it's an instruction to walk according to discipline yourself. That's what the word walk means. It's, it's a pressure word. It's a, it's a push yourself word that says, I'm just going to be stop doing these things. I'm going to see the two people, extroverts, externalize this pressure. Introverts internalize the pressure. That's why introverts typically are stressed out all the time is because they've internalized all of this pressure. Extroverts have just beat up everybody around them because they externalize all their pressure. That's the people who should staple their tongue to their upper lip. I'm not making, I'm, I'm not saying, neither is good. Either one of those things are bad. Instead of the fact that I need to discipline myself in order, to, because what we're going to try and do, I don't know if you got the memo, we're going to try and kill the creature. If I can't get you to kill the creature, then I'm wasting my time telling you that there is this beautiful world right on the other side of that line. Oh, but you'll never, ever get there. How's that sound? The only way we're going to get there is if we learn how to kill the creature. The creature is who is keeping us on the underside of that line. The bigger the creature, for example, you can, if you have a belief system and the creature, it doesn't really care much about that belief system. I've met people who are, you know, I, I was raised with money. I'm a man, so money and abundance and all these type of things are very important to my, my job on this planet. It can go way wrong as it did. But I've met other people who really couldn't care less whether they have a lot of money or not. And then they come and they get, we teach them on lack and they go, okay, good. And they start manifesting almost immediately because the creature wasn't very strong in their life because they really couldn't care about it. Other people, and then that same person, they may really get sick very quickly and they're, you know, constantly in this place of dealing with, with physical problems. The creature in their life in that area is very big. And so in order for them to get across the line, financial things, very easy. Physical things, very hard. It's not because the revelation is easy or hard. They're all the same. The only problem is how big is the creature? How big is all of these mechanisms of imaginary strength and, and safety? And all? How big is that in your life? And so the ability to get across this line is very simply, how much humility do you have? 
How much are you really willing to stop defending, delaying, deflecting, you know, de 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 that you're up here? Stop doing it. If you stop doing it, you'll be walking in the spirit, humility, not in the flesh, pride. And again, I'm not making fun of people. I'm just telling you, these are the two tools. You want to stay where you are? You need pride for that. You want to go to the other side of the equation? You need humility for that. Not that humility is just, we'll come up here and we'll just beat you for a while. Not that kind of humility. It's the kind of humility that says, I'm really ready to deal with the creature. I'm really ready to go through this season where I'm going to feel vulnerable and I'm going to feel like I really need God. I'm really going to feel like I'm coming apart like a $3 watch. I really do feel like that. As you begin to unmask the creature. It's like you ladies, if you came to next Sunday, don't wear your makeup to church. Uh, no, not all together at one time. One of you each week doesn't get to wear your makeup to church. Now, or guys, don't do your hair or don't wear your muscle shirt with all of your stuff showing. And whatever, that's all. You see, that's, you just try to do it, right? Like I'm around here doing the roof. I'm looking like I am a crazy man with a pink bandana and I'm sweating like a pig. And, but it doesn't, I, I'm not boasting. I just really don't care. And so if it's church day, I'm going to dress up. If it's work day, I'm not. And you can live where the mask isn't there. And please don't hear me boasting by, by any means. Talk to my wife. I have no reason to boast. I'm just saying that these things, when we get willing to unmask these things, we step into a place of freedom. It's where it is. It's so simple. The problem is... It's like anything. If the creature wants to hide it from you, it becomes very complicated. And that's what's happened. Especially in our culture, a culture built on the creature and making the creature stronger and stronger and stronger. So close your eyes and say this with me. Say, Lord, I know the creature ain't me. And so from this moment forward, it is my purpose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit because we're going after the creature. I want it out so I no longer need to hide. I can be me in all of its glory. And so Holy Spirit, surround me with people who are okay with me being me until such time until I've been matured and transformed and brought across that line into my destiny. I declare, I can see it, I can enter. So my life in the kingdom of heaven is inevitable. In Jesus' name.